Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Matt Weiner, a Sports Center anchor and Turner Sports TV broadcaster. Hello there. I am now live according to the uh, Twitter app. How's it going? It's Matt. Uh, let me know if this is working, please, because I'm uh, I'm good at like four things, and tech is is not one of them necessarily. Um, welcome to my Atlanta home in this very very weird, strange time we're all in. I uh, hope you're doing okay out there. Hope you're staying away from each other, um, doing what you can to help the rest of the country and the rest of the world stay safe during this uh, this unprecedented time, at least in my lifetime, um, here in Atlanta. There's pollen outside, there's family inside, there's distance learning happening in my house. Uh, it's all going on. So uh, I'm excited about this because uh, I've seen a couple of the other previous editions of EJ's Journalism School. I, I caught some of, of Ernie's, I caught a fair amount of sets, and I watched most of uh, Brian Anderson's yesterday. And... Uh, it's really cool. I wish I'd had a resource like this when I was a journalism school student or even in my first job or two in the business, just to have an idea of what it's really like out there, maybe what it takes, some tips, that kind of thing. And that's that's where we're here. And, and frankly, what else do we have to do? We've got nothing to do right now. Uh, we're not doing TV shows. So this is, this is great. Um, I'm also honored to be part of this lineup having worked with a bunch of these people and admired their work over the years. Next week, you've got Scott Van Pelt. You've got Steve Levy. You've got James Brown. Um, I, I worked a lot with Scott Van Pelt back at ESPN. I worked with Leaves plenty of times. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting James Brown, but admire his work from afar. Uh, and of course, I, I've worked plenty with Brian Anderson, uh, who's just one of the best play-by-play -play guys in the business. I did March Madness for years with Seth Davis, who insists on hugging me still when we see each other um, because he's a hugger. And I think partly because he knows I'm not. Uh, and of course, you know, what else can you say about Ernie that hasn't already be said, been said? I, I met EJ for the first time in the fall of 2009, I think it was, at the Basketball Hall of Fame when I was still at ESPN, but I'd been approached or my agent had been approached about coming to Turner and NBA TV. Uh, and I was there to cover it. It was a high profile class that year. Um, and EJ, I think was emceeing something. Anyway, we're in the room together and, and, and Ernie, um, you know, already a huge star in this, in this business went out of his way to approach me, come over to me and, and shake my hand and say, I think he said, Hey, I just wanted to say, I really, really enjoy watching you on TV. And that's the kind of thing that he, he does on a daily basis that makes people feel good about themselves. And that's why he's as venerated as anybody I've ever worked with. And I've worked a lot of places as we'll go over here in a few minutes. Um, people love him and they love him for what he does on the air and they love him for who he is as a person. He is, I, I always say this about TV people. My favorite people on the air are most like what they're what they're like off the air. I didn't say that very well. Ernie's a great example of it because he's exactly who you think he is. He's he's funny. Uh, he's got a great disposition, and he's a phenomenal human being who not only talks the talk but walks the walk as well. Um, so proud to be part of all this. Continue enjoying these, and again, send your questions. I'm I'm going to follow the Brian Anderson. Um, sort of path here in terms of how we go about this. I'll tell you how my career has gone and how I wound up at Turner eventually. Um, so I grew up in, in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, that in itself, I think, was, was a break to a certain degree. But people both in the business and out sometimes ask, you know, how did you wind up doing this for a living? And the short answer is, I kind of planned on it from the time that I was eight years old. I don't know. I, I kind of knew I wanted to do something like this in broadcasting from the time I was a little kid. Um, 
I, I won the Channel 5 news quiz when I was in fifth grade um, because I was already reading the newspaper. I was always already paying attention to what was happening in the world. I was interested in it. Um, I, by the way, I think that's the last thing I won. I'm, I'm not sure I've won anything since that time. But I, I was lucky to have grown up in St. Louis for a couple of different reasons, one of which is it really punched above its weight in terms of great broadcasters who I got to watch and listen to as a kid. And I'm talking about people like Jack Buck. And if you're a journalism student now or, or you're under the age of, I don't even know, now 35, 30, you may not even remember Jack Buck. He's Joe Buck's dad. But when I was a kid, he was doing World Series games and Super Bowls and that kind of thing for CBS and other entities. And primarily, he was the play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. So I, I heard him a ton growing up. We also had a, a young Bob Costas in that market who called Missouri Tiger basketball and did a lot of sports talk radio on X Radio, which, which is a, a behemoth of an AM station in St. Louis. Uh, we had guys like Gary Bender, who was a, a local sportscaster at the CBS affiliate in St. Louis and went on to do national games. I believe he called at least one, maybe a couple of national championship games for college basketball. Uh, Dan Deerdorf, who had been an offensive lineman with the St. Louis Cardinals, was a local sportscaster there as well. Uh, Jay Randolph, who worked at the NBC affiliate, where I eventually worked, uh, had done golf and some other things for NBC. So we had all these really accomplished broadcasters right there in that uh, relatively, it's kind of a medium-sized market now, but it was never a huge market then. Um, that, to me, is a huge advantage, having that sort of influence and listening to those folks growing up. Um, the second big advantage was that I grew up about two hours from the world's first journalism school, the University of Missouri in Columbia, um, which is, you know, 120, maybe 100 miles away from where I grew up in, in St. Louis. Um, and that was an enormous advantage for me because I didn't have a ton of money come out. Um, and that was a place I could go and really learn the craft. Wherever you live right now, wherever you go to school or whatever market you might be in, I guarantee you there are Missouri Journalism School grads somewhere, uh, you know, applying their trade, either in TV or print or in some other medium. They, they teach a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, nationally, you see people like John Anderson all the time. Um, Brad Pitt actually went to the journalism school. He didn't graduate, but he, he left, I think it was five, six weeks before he graduated. But he was a, a journalism school student there as well. Um, but that was an enormous advantage. The school owns the NBC affiliate in Columbia, Missouri. I think that is still unique among journalism schools. So, you know, prospective employers knew when you got out of school that you knew what you were doing. You had a tape. You'd actually done live TV. All the reporters at that station are students. That's still the case. So you're forced into it, whether you're ready or not. You're going to report. You're going to anchor. And you're going to, to whatever degree, you're going to know what you're doing uh, in terms of the nuts and bolts of TV by the time you get out. Um, so those are all, all big advantages that I had to have grown up where I did and, and when I did and to have kind of soaked all that knowledge in. Um, that led me to the uh, cosmopolitan metropolis of Billings, Montana, which was a completely foreign experience for me. So far away from where I grew up, geographically, I mean, I saw mountains for the first time. Billings is not really in the mountains, but you can see them from there. They're out in the distance. Uh, culturally, completely different from what I'd grown up and what I was used to, grown up around and what I was used to. Fascinating experience. Uh, I, I would love you to guess what they paid me uh, in December of 1991 to take that job. I'll, I'll let that sit out there for a little bit. You can float some numbers at me and I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, but the best part about that, you know, it was a really small market. It was like the market 170 or something in terms of the, uh, the, the size rankings. But it allowed me to figure out who I was and what I was good at and what I wasn't good at because it didn't matter that much. I mean, it mattered to the station, but it's not like there are a lot of people watching. Um, the news director who hired me there made a point of telling me that there were more cows than people in the market. And that's that's absolutely the case and i covered minor league baseball and i covered small college sports and i covered lots of high school stuff and and things i'd never even been to like you know rodeo um and it was fascinating and we were all a lot of us i should say not all of us a lot of us were in kind of the same boat in that 
we were 22, 23, 24 years old. We were hanging out together. We were all trying to figure out stuff. Um, weren't making a lot of money and just trying to get better at what we were doing. And that was just such an invaluable experience. And I was there for a little under two years, I think it was, including a stretch in which I was the sports department because the guy who was sports director when I was hired there, a guy named Gordon, um, he left after I'd been there maybe 10 months or so. He decided to get out of the business and get a real job. Uh, I still get holiday cards from him. He's done very well in the pharmaceuticals industry. And, uh, you know, he had, he had young kids. He wanted to support them. He wasn't making a lot of money, so he got out. So it took the station a while to hire a replacement. And in the meantime, they offered me the sports director job. I, I tried to be honest. I turned it down because I thought I'd, I'd probably want to move on at some point. But in the meantime, I was the department for like seven weeks or something, which meant in that time, I think they gave me two or three days off just because I was spent. And uh, they actually had one of the photographers do the sports cast on those days, which was uh, painful for, for him and everyone else, frankly. Um, but so I did that for, I think, a year and 10 months. And then I took a job sight unseen uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, at a station called WJTV, the CBS affiliate back then. And this is a great lesson in vetting your employer. Um, the, the South was a culture shock in and of itself, but the station, frankly, was not in very good shape. And I mean by in terms of the facilities, in terms of how it ran, uh, it just wasn't a great spot. And I, I, I assume by now they've fixed a lot of that. That was, you know, 25, 26 years ago now. Um, but that's a good lesson in figuring out what you're getting into before you get there. I, I remember, I remember literally pulling up into the parking lot the first time I saw the station and kind of going, oh boy, this, this could be rough because it just didn't look like it was in good repair. And the news vehicles were kind of shoddy. And I remember there was at least one of them in, uh, in which you could see through to the street, through the floorboards of the, the news car, which was amazing. Um, they, they shot video on this weird M2 format that uh, really hardly anybody was using at the time. It was difficult to work with. It was sort of incompatible with other stations if you, if you traveled anywhere. Um, and I was there under a year and a half, and I think the station was sold twice. So it was a little chaotic. Um, but again, good, good lessons all around, and I, I got better at what I did. Covered uh, a lot of SEC sports, which was, you know, a new experience for me as well. So I, I went to games at uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State and LSU and, um, you know, lots of other places around the SEC, as well as covering the HBCU schools and the SWAC. I covered Steve McNair uh, at Alcorn State, went to a bunch of his games. Uh, actually, I gave Steve McNair a ride in my car once, along with his his mother, to an event the station was, was holding. Um but, you know, again, picked up a lot of valuable experience and got better at what I was doing. That led me to my third local TV job at WOOD, Wood, uh, Wood TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which uh, was a furniture town, which is why the station is called Wood. Uh, it was the NBC affiliate there. That was a really well-run station. They did good work. And I worked for a guy named Jack Doles, who is still there as sports director, um, and just learned a ton from him about work ethic, about creativity, and about being a, continuing to be a decent human being, even though you're beloved by the community, because he was and is, remains, and he's been there this whole time and has done a, a fantastic job. And I was there for about three years or so. It was during that time my wife and I got married. We'd been together since college, but it was often a long distance thing. We finally got married there. Um, and then we moved back to St. Louis. I worked for the NBC station in St. Louis, KSDK, Channel 5. And um, that was, in a lot of ways, surreal because I worked with some people I had grown up watching on TV, including the sports director, a guy named Mike Bush, who's also still at that station. He does news there now, has for a long time now. But he had been sports director since I was like 16. And all of a sudden, I'm working for him. And meeting some of my childhood heroes, you know, interviewing people like Ozzie Smith or Jim Hart, the great Cardinals quarterback. Um, and it was a really cool experience. And I was there for three years. 
but I was also the fourth guy on the totem pole. So I didn't get to anchor as much as I would, I would like. Uh, I was basically a reporter and I did some cool stuff. You know, we covered a lot of interesting things there. I was there, there during the uh, Mark McGuire home run summer of 1998. I was there when the Rams uh, morphed from a four and 12 team to a Super Bowl champion with, with Kurt Warner, you know, rising out of nowhere. I covered that team. The, the blues won the president's cup or president's trophy, whichever they call for uh, most points in the league while I was there. I covered Jackie Joyner Kersey at the Olympic trials. I mean, a a lot of cool stuff packed into three years. But um, my agent at the time, and this was the first agent I ever had, um, contacted me about uh, auditioning at ESPN. So I'd I'd covered a Rams game at at the Meadowlands against the Giants and then traveled up to Connecticut to do an audition up there. And, um, you know, interviewed with some folks and the audition went, well enough, apparently, because they, they offered me a job. And so I, I left St. Louis, my hometown, to take a shot at ESPN. Um, by the way, I followed Trey Wingo's footsteps in that regard. I, I had replaced Trey Wingo at that station in St. Louis. And obviously, he had gone to ESPN. And then I followed him. Not literally followed him, but you know what I mean. Went to ESPN, uh, same path that, that he had taken. And obviously, he's still there. Um, ESPN was, you know... Uh, a game changer, in some ways a life changer for me. Um, learned a ton of stuff, got much better. And, and ESPN or, or Turner, compared to local news, it's, it's a different job, really. They're, you know, I was just an anchor all of a sudden, um, doing ESPN News at first, then doing sports centers, eventually doing a lot of NBA stuff, did a lot of college football stuff as well. Uh, but it's just a different job than, than local TV in some ways easier because you can concentrate on writing, on information gathering, um, taking notes, that sort of thing, because you don't have to go out and shoot things and turn them around for a local sportscast. Um, And in some ways harder because there's more pressure. And at a place like ESPN, I don't know what the numbers are like now, but when I got there, there were something like 45 anchors on staff in-house, and you're basically all competing against each other trying to get airtime trying to find your way to the shows you really want to do. Um, met some amazing people, uh, including, like I mentioned, Scott Van Pelt. Um, he and I were part of a rotation in the early 2000s, 2002, three-ish, um, with Chris McKendry and Dana Jacobson and Mike Greenberg and some other folks doing the 6 o'clock Sports Center, the hour-long 6 o'clock show. We did that for a couple of years together. And uh, it's actually the only time in my life I've really had day hours. But it was also, you know, fascinating and, and tremendous experience as well. Um, you can see me in the, uh, the Bartman 30 for 30, in fact, because I, I was doing shows with Dan Patrick at that time. And uh, the, the Steve Bartman impersonator made it onto SportsCenter. And they used that in the Bartman 30 for 30. And I'm, I'm in that for probably four seconds or something. Um, did that for a long time. Like I said, I did college football. I did a million sports centers. Uh, I did some some of their stunts. It's the word that folks use for these things, the uh, 50 for 50 series, where we would go from state to state to state. I was involved in that. Um, I did NFL camps. I did, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then I, I did a lot of NBA, which was an area that I, I really wanted to do because despite growing up in St. Louis at a time when there was no NBA team there, the, the Hawks had left St. Louis less than a year before I was born. Um, I gravitated toward that league. When I was a kid, I had posters of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson and Jamal Wilkes up in, in my bedroom. And I've since gotten to meet all three of those guys. Um, so anyway, I was doing a bunch of NBA shows at ESPN and um, that, I assume, is, is why Turner came calling, because they had signed a contract with the NBA to do NBA TV from Atlanta a year or two before, if I'm getting my, my timeline right. Um, they wanted to start doing it from Atlanta. They had a studio going. Um, by then, they'd been on the air a year, year and a half or something from Atlanta. Um, and they, they asked about you know, bringing me in and, um, and having me be a host primarily on NBA TV. So we, we packed up, 
we moved to Atlanta and we've been here ever since. And that's been a little more than 10 years now. Um, and that opened up other opportunities as well, which, which we had discussed when I interviewed, but I wound up doing, um, you know, major league baseball playoffs on TBS as the studio host at first. Um, so less than a year after starting with Turner, I'm, I'm presenting the American league championship trophy on the field in Arlington to the Texas Rangers. Uh, a year later, I'm, I'm doing the same thing in Milwaukee to the Cardinals of all teams. Um, in 2011, Turner started doing March Madness. I did that for five years, six years. I forget uh, with Seth and, and other folks. Um, you know, I, I, I've been able to do a ton of things for Turner, obviously backing up uh, Ernie a bunch of times on Inside the NBA, which I think, and somebody can research this and tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. I've never looked it up. I think I'm the only person who's ever hosted both Sports Center and Inside the NBA. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me the other person if I'm wrong. Um, but that's where I've been ever since. And now I'm, I'm NBA TV all the time. And uh, none of the time at the moment, because, again, we're not really doing much. They're putting on uh, they have started putting on shows, but uh, it hasn't gotten to my turn yet. And we've got to get the technology figured out before we can we can uh, we can all do those those game time shows as we wait out this very, very bizarre period of time. Um, just this. I don't know how I see your questions if you're asking questions. Well, that's not, here we go. What should young sports journalists do during this pandemic? That's a great question. It is uh, very tough to report on anything. Um, oh, somebody's saying swipe to the left. This was the Tinder reference that Seth made the other day, which I, I don't know. Um, and I don't remember his, like he said, his left good or bad. I don't know. Anyway, um, you know what? That's a great question. The, the biggest thing to do, I think, and this goes for any time, is stay up to date with whatever's happening. Um, and advice generally that kind of transcends that particular topic is read. Uh, I heard Seth say that too. Read everything, not just sports. If you, you guys, I'm assuming this is mostly a younger audience. You probably don't read a daily newspaper. You probably don't have it delivered to you as a physical thing. I still do. Um, don't just read the sports section of what, whatever it is you're, you're reading. Don't just read the sports. Be up on what's happening in the world um, because it's all related. And the more you know, you know, the better. Just as a person, but also as a broadcaster, if you have references and, a, and context for whatever is happening in the world, that's just going to make you better at your job. Um, so read everything you can. And I would say if you're someone who's still developing your craft and still getting reps in, uh, as a broadcaster, find a way to practice. You know, it, it doesn't matter if anybody sees it or not. And this, this goes for students generally. Um, the experience I got at that station, the NBC station uh, in Columbia, Missouri, when I was in school is invaluable because there's sort of a um, exponential value to every show, right? You, you learn a little bit more with each show and eventually that, that levels off to some degree. But at the beginning, it's so important to be in front of a camera doing whatever it is you do. And with technology now, you can replicate a sportscast or a live shot or whatever it is you're trying to do so easily and just look at it, see what you like, see what you don't like. Because that was, to me, the most important thing about those early years is learning who I am. You know, uh, am I the catchphrase guy? No, no, that wasn't going to be me. Um, am I the, you know, crack a joke a minute guy? No, not necessarily. If, if it comes naturally to me, I have kind of a dry sense of humor. And if it comes naturally, I'll, I'll try to use that and hopefully people get it. Um, but you can't be something other than who you are. And sometimes it takes a little while to figure that out. Um, so that would be, I guess, two parts of advice. I kind of steered off course. All right. More questions. What else do we have out there? High school has changed a lot in a lot of ways since I was in high school, but from what I can tell, and I, and I was, it was just a couple of months ago, uh, Mizzou asked me to come speak to a couple of journalism classes. Uh, and the resources available now for high school kids are incredible. I mean, they're running TV stations and radio stations out of their high school. We didn't have any of this. I, I was the editor of our high school newspaper 
So I, you know, I wrote a column and I'm, I'm a big believer in writing, which we'll, we'll touch on at some point here. Um, but advice is do as much as you can. And that means everything, whatever you can understand. This goes through college as well. If, the more you can understand, and Brian Anderson spoke about this yesterday because of his, his extraordinary path to where he is. He learned the ropes on a bunch of different fronts. And that meant the technical side, uh, the content side, finding his voice, um, finding the, the cadence, the, the way he speaks, the information he wants to get, the rhythm, all that stuff comes with time. But he also learned about the technical aspects of television. And that helps you a ton if you're the person on the air to understand, to have some understanding of, of what a director is doing, what a producer wants to do. Um, you know, just marrying images to information. Um, that's all important stuff. So, you know, if you're in high school, depending on the situation in your high school, dive into whatever you can. If you can, if you can somehow get an internship at cable access or a website that allows you to create content and observe how it's produced, do it. Just, you know, so much of this job is just experience and doing, um, you know, there are, there are people who have, talents that make them better suited for certain jobs on or off camera, but you can't hurt yourself by knowing more. What do you think set me up part? I know I caught part of that. I can only see the bottom. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I was a kid for one. I, like I said, I wanted to do it when I was a kid. I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to do something like this. I wasn't entirely sure it would be sports uh, or news, um, until I went to one too many city council meetings in uh, Columbia, Missouri. Uh, and then I had a pretty good idea, but, uh, I was always the kid. I, I'm not, a, I'm not a ham by nature necessarily, but I was always the kid who wanted to read aloud in class. And frankly, that was something that I was, I was good at. I could, I could process it and spit it out pretty quickly. And I think that has served me well. Um, that's a big thing. I think, writing and, and writing isn't always something you put down in a script. It's, it's whatever you're saying in some way you've written it in your head. Um, writing to me is, it's not exactly a lost art. It is a fading art in television. Um, and I'll give you an example of that in the time that I was at ESPN, which was nine years, the, the lead-ins meaning the on-camera part before a highlight or before a, package or a story got shorter. If you go back and watch sports centers from the nineties, uh, you'll see lead-ins that went 45 seconds. Uh, a friend of mine, old ESPN friend of mine has kept a Charlie Steiner lead-in that was like a minute 10 or something. And by the time that I had left ESPN or by the time I was wrapping up there, there's no way a producer would ever have let you write a minute 10 long lead-in unless it was some very particular news story and you had to get all the elements into that, into that on camera. Um, so it, it's changed a little bit, but there are so many opportunities to write, even in small spaces, bumps and teases and turns of phrase. And I, I wish more students would concentrate on that, uh, on writing um, or an Instagram post. Learn to write, that's, that's a big thing uh skills uh i heard seth i think it was seth say this the other day uh when it comes to interviewing listening you can you can and you should have a list of questions if you're going to do a sit-down interview with somebody or even a, a even a two-way interview over satellite or whatever other link is established you should have some questions prepared obviously there are things you want to know um Hopefully there are things that the person hasn't answered a million times or that you already know. Um, but you also have to listen to what they're saying because they may tell you something you weren't expecting in that answer. And you have to be prepared to react to that as opposed to just moving on to the, the next question. And I've seen that before. And it's easy when you're young to be tethered to that piece of paper or the prompter, whatever it is you're using for those questions. Um, it's, it's simple to be sort of I don't know, not robotic. I don't know what the word is for that, but a slave to that list of questions. Um, but don't 
don't not listen because you may miss something that you want to follow up on that may be way more interesting than whatever it is uh, you were going to ask next. All right, what do we got? Suggest starting at a smaller place than someone big. Um, that's a good question. And it is something when I thought about this that I, I gave some thought to. It's not so much that I would suggest it. I think, and let me backtrack a second. The business has changed a ton in the 28 plus years since I started doing this. My path was fairly conventional in that I got a journalism degree uh, and then I went to a smaller local market, right? Back then though, you're talking about December of 1991. Back then you didn't have uh, sports regional cable stations across the country at least. Uh, there was some of those in maybe New York, maybe a couple of other places, but not in every market the way there is now. And you didn't have a gazillion websites producing sports content. So it may not be as necessary to travel geographically to a smaller market the way I did. Um, but whether it's geography or your mindset, I do think you have to have a certain amount of flexibility to get wherever it is you, you're hoping to go and get to the next thing. You have to have the vision for that. Uh, and who knows? I've, I've known people who went to either a place or an entity um, that they probably didn't intend on staying at for a long period of time and liked it. Or they married somebody in that market or at that place and decided they could be happy there and, they're, you know, and, and they do great. But you have to have the mindset of you're willing to do something that maybe you weren't planning on doing, like move to Montana in my case. I, it was never on my radar as a kid. I knew almost nothing about Montana. Uh, it was a great experience for me. So it, it's, it's a hard question to answer in terms of whether you're better off. You know, I, there are people like, and I don't, know, I don't know his story exactly, so I may get some of this wrong, but Ian Eagle, for instance, who, as far as I know, has always been in New York, but started out, I think, as a researcher and maybe a producer before making his way up onto the air. And obviously now he's, you know, he's one of the top play-by-play -play voices around. Uh, and I don't think he ever did anything like a small market um, situation the way I did. So there, there are a million different paths. It, it, some of it's got to do with fit. Some of it has to do with comfort level. But this would be be willing to uh, be flexible about what your expectations are for that job and what you're willing to do. Do we have any guesses yet how much I made in Billings, Montana? Because um, that's part of it as well. Um, you know, more than likely, you're not going to be Mike Tirico doing uh, Sports Center at 22 or 23. I don't know how old he was. Uh, chances are you're not as brilliant as Mike Tirico. Congratulations on the Emmy nomination, as well as Scott Van Pelt, as well as Ernie. Um, and everybody else. Uh, chances are you're going to have to start out and get back, right? Um, I just saw a bunch of questions and then they disappeared. This is the part I'm messing up. Oh, wait, there we go. What do you do outside of your job to stay prepared? Okay. Uh, again, reading is the big thing. Reading. Um, so I have, I'll, tell, I'll give you a couple things about preparation. Everybody does this differently. I am not super organized by nature. My wife would be the first to tell you this. Um, I've gotten better about it over the years, but you have to come up with a system that works for you. And I've got a few different ones because I'm a studio host. I don't have the big board that Brian Anderson talked about yesterday. If I'm doing play by play, which I don't do very often, I will do a board like that. But I, again, that's a small part of my year at summer league, sometimes USA exhibitions, that kind of thing. Mostly I'm in studio. So I find I can't be overwhelmed with a bunch of paperwork. Um, so I try to condense it to things like this. This is all backward to you, I think. But um, this, this is a handful of games. It's five games on an NBA night. Um, now, I cover the NBA every night. So there's a lot of stuff already baked into the head, right, that I already know in terms of topics, uh, storylines that I don't need paper for. I don't need notes on this stuff tends to be, um, it's in my shorthand, and it tends to be trends and current stats that I wouldn't necessarily remember off the top of my head. So I'll pick out just one game here. Jazz Celtics is the game from this particular night. Uh, it says Boston 
is up 1-0 in the season series. That means they already won at Utah. It gives a couple of details about that. Utah won three in a row. Uh, Boston's won 15 of 20, and it's got notes about particular players. And I used to do these, I used to hand write these things, and then I realized something very, very important. My handwriting is terrible. It's basically illegible, even to me. And so I found that I would be on the air. We'd be talking about one of these teams. And then I would realize, oh, I've got this great fact or stat or whatever about that team that is relevant to this conversation. And I'd look down at the card and I'd realize I couldn't read exactly what it is. And so it would be no good to me. So I started doing these, typing these out. Um, but you've got to just keep up. Like if you're, you know, if you're covering all sports, obviously you have to read everything you can. Um, and if you're covering a particular sport, you have to read everything that exists about that particular sport and just know it uh, inside and out. Uh, And it actually, in some ways it gets easier because like I said, the big picture storylines you kind of have in your brain, you don't have to be reminded of some of those things. You have to update yourself on the, uh, on the details. Did that answer that? I'm not sure. Uh, okay. For a second, I thought I had the questions figured out. How do you keep the same energy level every time you go on the air? That's a good one. Working on deadline. Ooh, tips on crossing over the USA. I would love to cover basketball in England, by the way, that would be fun. Um, all right, I'm going to try to remember these. Internship, I cannot speak to. I never had an internship. I, I, was, I was lucky enough to have a scholarship, which kind of saved my butt because um, I didn't have a bunch of money. And at first, I knew I wanted to go to the journalism school at, at Missouri. I was going to try to go somewhere else for a couple of years and then transfer in, uh, which would have been kind of a pain. Um, and then because of my uh, ACT score, I got lucky. And I ended up getting books and tuition that covered my time there. But uh, while I was in school, I always had jobs, sometimes two or three jobs. And I always had summer jobs. So I never I never could do an internship. Um, I don't know, you know, other than the connections, I don't know how particularly important they are. I, I would say, as someone who never had an internship, but who has seen interns uh, at various places, I would find an internship somewhere where you can actually do something other than getting coffee or making copies or, you know, fetching lunch, that kind of thing. I would find someplace that they'll let you do something. That station I talked about in Billings, Montana, they used to have an intern, a summer intern who would actually produce stories and, and do the work and be on the air for a couple of months in the summer. That's huge. If you can find something along those lines where you're actually writing for an internet site or doing video content, or, you know, going out with crews and helping them shooting things, whatever it is, uh, that to me would be way more valuable than just being at a higher profile place just to have it on your resume. But I, I don't know how, I don't know how prospective employers look at that, but to me, that's far more valuable. I remember because the, the journalism school, and I'm, I'm not, this is not meant to be a, uh, a sales job for the University of Missouri Journalism School, but it's well known. So, there were people from all over the country, kids from all over the country came to the school and they would come back after the summer and they would, you know, have these tales of their internship at NBC news in New York or whatever. While I was, you know, working summer jobs as a day camp counselor and at Western union um, because I needed the money. And it turned out that stuff wasn't especially important because we were, we were getting the reps in we needed in school. Uh, and then it was a matter of, of ability uh, and that's one great thing about broadcasting. You know, people, people will complain about connections and politics and all that thing, but all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, it's, it's as much a meritocracy as any profession I can think of. Either you can do the job or you can't. And people see that. And your bosses or prospective bosses don't want people on the air who can't do the job. So um, if you work hard at it and you have some ability you've got a real shot. Uh, I, there was a question about energy level. And that's an interesting one. I, I'm not, for those of you who know me, I'm not like a, I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. Um, I don't know how people do that, to be honest, partly just because it's not my nature. 
um, partly because it seems exhausting to me. But depending on the show you have, it can be a challenge to maintain energy level for hours at a time. Best example ever were the, was the years I was doing March Madness. Um, and I remember the first two days of that tournament, not, not, the, not the Tuesday, Wednesday, but the first two full days of the tournament, there is nothing, nothing that will ever prepare you for that day of television. We would go on at 11 a.m., which meant we were in the building at, you know, 8 or 8.30 in the morning. We would go on with a pregame show, and then the games just start coming, and they don't stop um, because we were doing halftimes and pregames and the between-game segments um, across multiple networks. So one would bleed into the next. There were sometimes barely opportunities to watch the games you were talking about, um, and then one segment would end and sometimes Tim Kiley or, um, Tom Heights or whoever the producer was at the time would get in my ear and say, okay, now we're doing the Dayton Florida state game or whatever it is, the halftime for that. And it was just continuous, um, until like, you know, one in the morning when you do the post game show and then you turn around and do it again the next day for that long. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. But I remember sitting next to Steve Smith, uh, who I've worked with all 10 years here at, at Turner. Great guy. I remember sitting next to him late on one of those Friday nights, the second full night of the tournament, and looking into each other's eyes. And he said to me, he said, you are so done. And I looked at him and I said, you are as well, because you could just see it. It's, it's exhausting. And it is, uh, it's a real challenge to sort of maintain um, energy level and, and, a, and a level head and not, and not mess things up at that point. But that's, that's really extraordinary. There aren't, there aren't many assignments like March Madness. I'm not sure there is another assignment like March Madness. Uh, all right, let's see. Scroll for old comments. Oh, oh, there we go. Look at that. There are a whole bunch of them. Okay, good. Gambling. That's an interesting one. I'm not entirely sure how to answer it because I know... Um, you know, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, for instance, has been um, pretty forward thinking about gambling. It exists. We might as well have a piece of it. We might as well accept that it's happening. But I get the sense that they're still trying to figure out how to implement it on on the network. Um, you know, from what I've seen, ESPN does a little more of it. Obviously, uh, Scotty does his bad bets or bad beats, rather. Um, so there are references to it. And there I've seen, I'm seeing other, I don't watch them necessarily, but I see that there are other shows out there more devoted to that stuff. So I think it's going to become something like, or maybe even to some degree replace fantasy programming um, because it's the same type of stuff in a lot of cases. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a gambling guy, so I don't know tons about it, but it's, it's inevitably going to be a, a larger part of the conversation when it comes to sports. Uh, Navigate being the traffic cop with three analysts without becoming robotic, just taking turns. Um, that is a good question. And that, that's a very good question, actually. I can't read your name. I'm sorry, I can't read your name. I give you credit for that. Um, it's an excellent question because that is a possibility. A lot of it has to do, to me, some of it has to do with, uh, with me. Some of it has to do with how well the analysts know each other and how much TV we've all done together. Um, because if there's enough of a comfort level, I don't necessarily have to direct the conversation at every turn. I have to get it started. Um, maybe I have to uh, gently challenge somebody if they say something that's either outrageous or you know, uh, occasionally factually incorrect, whatever. Um, but sometimes I can also just look at a person. The guys uh, and ladies I've worked with over years, I can just look at and they'll know that it's a good time for them to jump in or that I want them to jump in or that maybe we haven't heard from them in a little while. That's part of it. So it's partly a chemistry thing. Um, and it's partly just a mixing it up thing, uh, changing the cadence. So it's not, you know, let an analyst speak for 25 seconds and then automatically jump to the next person. Maybe you do a follow-up with that person. Uh, maybe you change the, the, the or um, the actual subject. Um, there are a lot of ways to do that. And I think that's, that's one of those rep things that comes 
over time. Uh, how do you prepare to host a studio show with multiple analysts? Uh, same way I would most any other show. I'm going to ask, for the most part, I'm going to ask the same questions. I'm just going to ask, spread them out over the different analysts. Uh, but the caveat, there's probably not just one caveat, but a caveat to that would be if the analysts are, say, um, Stan Van Gundy is sitting uh, two spots away and a player, let's say Isaiah Thomas is sitting one spot away, then I might have different questions for them based on perspective. Now, Isaiah coached in the NBA as well, um, but Stan is only a coach uh, and, a, and an executive. So he's going to have a different perspective than I might call on Zeke for as a former player, as a great player. That's one way you would, you would change your thinking. But that's more of an on-the-fly thing, depending on how the conversation goes. These conversations, the ones we have on NBA TV and the ones that they have on Inside the NBA, for instance, are not scripted at all. Um, that was a little bit of a difference from, from ESPN, just because sports centers tend to be tighter. The time constraints are different. Um, and so we would generally plan, if I'm sitting with uh, Tim Legler or Barry Melrose, uh, I'm going to have two or three questions. They're going to have video to support that. And then we're going to move on to the next segment. Whereas on Inside the NBA, they don't give you many time cues. And the same with NBA TV, because you're on for, for long periods of time. Um, so, you know, you just sort of play it by ear and you can take the conversation. You actually have more responsibility as a host that way, because you can take the conversation really anywhere you want to go. Um, would you rather do traditional college or a school of broadcasting? That is a great question. Um, I, I think I think probably college, but I, I say that as someone who isn't all that familiar with the school schools of broadcasting. I, my friend Gus Ramsey, who was a, a producer and a coordinating producer at ESPN, is now running the uh, the, pro, the Dan Patrick's School of Sportscasting, I may have that name wrong, at Full Sail down in Florida. Um, I'd be curious to have a longer conversation with him about what that entails and what that's like. Um, from my perspective, the more well-rounded you are, the better. Uh, and the more you know about anything, any subject, uh, the better off you are. And so I, I, I might lean toward uh, more of a liberal arts university setting with a, a journalism emphasis. Um, or even if you're at a liberal arts school where they don't have a, a significant journalism presence or program, you can always find the school newspaper, you can always find a local station, whatever it is, and get yourself involved for the nuts and bolts part of that. Uh, advice about working on deadline. Uh, you know, I don't, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't work under deadlines that often other than getting to the set. Um, and frankly, that sort of fits my personality. I'm, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator by nature. Um, there are occasions in the last few years, we started a magazine show at NBA TV. And so we produced longer form, excuse me, longer form pieces. Um, and I would have to meet a deadline for those. Generally, I find that I'm pretty good under deadline. Like I almost need that, but every, everybody's different that way. Some people like to get way ahead of things and do their best work. That's a good question about partnering with an agent. So I didn't have an agent. Actually, I saw the second question about an audition tape. I didn't have an agent when I got out of school, but I had a tape um, because again, the NBC affiliate in Columbia, Missouri is owned by the university. Um, so I sent out, uh, I don't know how many tapes I sent out a bunch of tapes and these were big clunky tapes back then. They weren't links. You actually had to record or copy, uh, your audition tape onto a tape, these big three quarter inch tapes. And, and if you guys are in school now, you have no idea what these things are, but they were clunky and you had to mail them. So there was a cost to it. There was, you know, a postal cost to mailing these things. Uh, and I sent out, I don't know how many before I ended up getting the job that I did. But what I've always been told by agents, I'll get to the agent part, but the, the audition tape, what I've always been told by agents 
is put your best stuff first. You may want to do some short, sort of montage thing at the beginning where you have a few seconds uh, of different things you've done just to give uh, whoever's watching it a perspective on, on your experience um, and different events you've covered. And then whatever you think your best thing is, um, if, if it's anchoring, if it's a piece you've done, whatever that is, put that next. If it's anchoring, maybe you don't have to put the whole show because that might be longer than you want. Um, but that's the big thing. Don't, if you don't impress somebody in the first minute of your audition tape, they're not going to see the sixth or seventh or eighth minute of it. That's the big advice. Uh, in terms of an agent, I think a lot of that is, is gut feel, especially if you're, if you're young. If you're, if you're in school, you probably don't need an agent. You may not even want an agent. Um, if you get to a point where you're talking to bigger markets or you think you're ready for a, a bigger market, or for an ESPN or a Fox Sports or, you know, somebody like that. An agent can help you navigate that territory. An agent will have contacts that could get your, your tape in front of the right people in the first place and potentially get you an audition. That's when it becomes helpful. Um, that's when you have to consider things like their reputation uh, and your gut as well. Do, do you trust that person? Um, you need to have a conversation with them. Not all agents are created equal. Uh, and, even the, the best of them may not be able to help you get exactly what you want. Um, oh, that's a great question. Bad on air day. Um, a lot of it is gut feeling. You know, I, I've had agents with, um, with some of the bigger, bigger agencies, CA, um, ICM. Uh, I was with uh, Sandy Montag's group before they merged and became whatever they are now, all the agencies keep merging together. Uh, somebody just asked about overcoming a, a bad day on the air. I will tell you definitively, the worst day I ever had on the air was at my first job, Billings, Montana. And I referenced this earlier, if you haven't been with me the whole time. So I, I started there in December of 91. Um, after like nine or 10 months, the sports director left. He left to go uh, take a job in pharmaceuticals which he's still doing to this day and has done very well for himself. So that left me as the, the entirety of the sports department. I was it. So I'm shooting my own stuff. I'm anchoring my own stuff. I'm editing my own stuff. And I'm it day after day after day after day after day. And like a lot of local stations, we had a big Friday night, you know, blowout high school football show. And it was extended time. But this was pre-internet at least at a time when the internet was not available to people other than computer scientists. Um, so in order to get the scores from all these local high school games, you had to make phone calls. After you'd done whatever video editing and everything else together, you still had to cram in some phone calls. You had to have somebody there to take them and you had to, sometimes you had to make them. So you would have the, the phone number to the McDonald's in Laurel, Montana, and you would have to call them and say, hey, is anybody there from the game that just happened in town? Because the kids would go hang out like they do everywhere. And they literally would shout out to the people in the restaurant and ask them, hey, what was the score of the game? And you would hope to get it back. Well, on this particular night, again, because I'm by myself, I'm shorthanded and the scores are just not available for whatever reason. So we did like, I don't know, eight minutes worth of high school football highlights that were just utterly incomplete. The, it would be like a score from the second quarter. And then I'd have to say, because I had no other information, I'd have to say at last report, Harden leads 14 to seven, but they may have lost the game 35 to 14. I had no idea. And there was no way to find out uh, until later. So it was miserable. I was kind of exhausted um, and I'm feeling really down. Again, this is my first year on the job. I, I walk out of the studio. Uh, I sit down at the office. I'm all alone and I'm bummed out. And the phone rings. And I pick up the phone and I said, uh, whatever we said, KTBQ Sports or whatever. And a guy on the other end is calling to say the following. I just wanted to let you know that is the worst sportscast I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and and I don't know what you say to that. Uh, I think I said thank you. I don't know. I, I was just so bummed out. And, um, and I hung up the phone. And, uh, 
you know, you, you just go back to it. I will tell you in, in the very, very short term, there was beer involved. Um, beyond that, you, you go back to work and, and try to do a better job the next day. Um, and that, and that's, you know, there are going to be days, maybe not quite like that, but there are days in this business where it's not going to go your way. Um, there might be years in this business where it doesn't go your way, but if you love it, you keep going at it and you keep trying. Uh, how can you work on becoming more comfortable with ad libbing on camera? Um, that's a good question. And that's mostly an experience thing. Um, I don't have an exercise that I've tried. Most of what we do at, at Turner and on NBA TV is not scripted, as I've mentioned. So it's not difficult at all for me now, um, as long as I have an idea of what we're planning to talk about generally. Um, you know, I, I can I can come up with plenty of subjects. What I try not to do is put the analysts in an awkward position or ask them things that they can't reasonably answer. Um, beyond that, it's not a problem. You know, I think I, I've never done a ton of radio, but that is that is great exercise for ad libbing because that's most of what it is talk radio. Um, I've done a hand, you know, I've done it over the years here and there. I, I, I did some fill in shows for ESPN radio when I was there and in local markets along the way, I've, I've, you know, stopped in, but I've never done that as a regular job. That's great exercise for it, but mostly it's mostly again, it's repetition and just, uh, and just comfort level, um, in terms of the ad living. Uh, do I prefer concentrating on one sport versus all? Um, that's a good question. I, cause I've done both and now I'm basically, uh, not basically, I am just MBA right now. It, there's, there are pros and cons to both. I really like the variety of doing different things, but there is something rewarding about uh, really being in the thick of a particular sport and, and knowing it as well as you get to know it if you do it every day. Um, some of that is personal preference. And for me, because if you're with us at the beginning of this, the NBA has always kind of been my favorite sport, even though I grew up in a non-NBA city. So that makes it a lot easier. I think if, if I were, you know, suddenly thrust into the position of, of having to do a rodeo every day, um, that would be tougher for me because I don't know it very well and I didn't grow up around it. It's not my thing. Uh, I appreciate what they do, but that's not, that's not my thing. That would be, that would be a harder ask than to do something like the NBA, which I would be watching anyway on my own. And by the way, this is a, this is a plug for journalism school in general. Um, if you have, if you develop the skills of a journalist, um, you can cover anything. You're going to have to learn the material to know what questions to ask and have a framework for those questions and give the stories the context they deserve. But you can learn to cover anything. Oh, that's an interesting one. Advice to give a guy in his early 40s who just earned a degree and about to enter the media field. I don't know that it's a lot different than it would be if you were at other... Um, points in your life, again, it's repetition. Um, for you, if you want to accelerate the process, I would almost, oops, sorry, I would almost consider starting, um, you know, developing some Twitter kind of stuff, some web kind of stuff, and get it out there sooner. Advice on a recent grad keeps getting rejected due to a lack of experience. There's a good one. This was from earlier. Um, recent grad keeps getting rejected due to lack of experience. Obviously, you have to get the experience, right? Um, that might mean doing stuff for free for a while, and that's okay. If it means you have the experience, then you know they can't they can't nick you for that. Um, so do whatever it takes to get that experience. And again, with today's technology, uh, with today's technology, you can mock up things and uh and get experience in ways that, that weren't available frankly to me when i was when i was uh at your age and, and your stage of development um okay i feel like we're good this was fun thank you all for asking your questions i hope we learned something here and uh i'm looking forward to next week's as well say hi to van pelt and levy for me uh and anybody else i'll be watching as well thanks to ernie johnson for having me in this was really cool. And uh, hit me up on Twitter. If you have other questions, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter more than usual during 
during uh, what's going on right now. So uh, if you have other questions, it's at Matt Weiner, W-I-N-E-R TV, and I'll try to get back to you. Thanks, everybody, and uh, continue to be safe out there. Hang in. We'll get through this. We'll come out the other side, and we'll all be better for it. See you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute, and Grady Sports.